Why is Jesus drawing a line in the sand? Why is he, why is he you know, he's a, he's a God who is gracious. He's a Lord who is gracious and merciful. But in our passage last week, he really did put a line in the sand. He said, you're all in or you're not in at all. If you're not fully surrendered and devoted to following me, you are not worthy of service in the kingdom of heaven. Why this intensity? I think we're going to see why as we enter into our text today because he has a job for us to do. There's a mission at stake. So let's look at that. We're now entering into the <laughs> chapter 10. It seems like we were in chapter 9 for a long time. Now we're in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals And do not greet anyone on the road. Please be seated. Luke begins by saying, after this. And the after this really is important. Uh, I mean, he just set the stage there in the the end of of Luke 9. And the after this is Jesus clearly drawing that line saying, you know, here's the expectation for service in the kingdom of God. He says, if you're going to be one who follows me, if you're going to be one who's been sent to be my disciple... You have to learn what that means. It means complete dependence upon God. It means restructuring your life and priorities around his kingdom program. And you're going to need to finish the race. You're not going to be able to start, get distracted, and stop. No man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is worthy of the kingdom of service in heaven. Worthy, this is what I said. Um, (laughs) And so this this is the tough teaching. And Jesus concludes that anyone who's not all in, fully surrendered, is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, we need to swim around in that for a minute because this week, you know, I received a couple of emails and folks just saying, so am I saved? I mean, if I'm not all in, if I'm not a super Christian, if I'm not doing like whatever you said in your sermon, does that mean like I'm going to hell? Is that what you're saying to me? Because it kind of sounds like it's up to me. Like I have to merit my salvation that that I have to serve in order to to earn entry into the kingdom of heaven and into eternal life. And so when I hear things like that, I have to take a time out and say, no, hold on. Let me be clear about what I did not say and what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, nor did I, that you must somehow achieve super Christian status in order to, you know, go to heaven when you die. In other words, in order to be saved. Our service or our level of service to, 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 you know, do what the Lord has called us to do within the kingdom of heaven. That does not somehow achieve our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's it. And that will always be the primary message of the gospel. Salvation is God's doing, not ours. But notice what Jesus is saying, and it does create tension. And I think it's a necessary tension. He says, To be my follower is to be 100% devoted and committed to my lordship and my agenda. He says, you know, you're all in, follow me or not. But if you're going to be my follower, you can't be double-minded. 
So here's the question that I think a lot of people are asking, maybe not out loud, but they're kind of thinking about it. And let me just address it. You're thinking, okay, so could I be saved by God's grace and Jesus dying on the cross and the fact that I believe in that and not be called to serve in the kingdom of heaven, not be all in? I mean, is it possible that maybe only some who are extraordinarily gifted and committed individuals are called and set apart to do kingdom service while the rest of us are saved but somehow excused from kingdom service because our commitment maybe is not high enough or we don't have the prerequisite gifts or we're simply not included in the call to follow him because it seems like those who are called to follow him need to be all in. What about the rest of us? Are we still saved and then have the opposite of not being all in and not following him? Now, I raise this question because so many people who call themselves Christians live as those who presume salvation. I presume because I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that I'm going to heaven, but I'd be the first to tell you that I'm, I'm not very active. I'm not really, you know, uh, serving and giving and all, all those kind of things. But I mean, I believe, and I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people like that. And if you you know, call those people and say, hey, we'd love for you to serve or, you know, we'd love for you to really pray about, you know, committing some resources to giving to, to help the ministry of, of the kingdom of heaven here as we try to be faithful to, as a church. Man, they get very offended. Like, what are you calling me for? I mean, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But I mean, I'm not one of those, you know, people who actually are serving or, or giving or whatever. So the question is, is it possible to be saved and not called? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to find that possibility very well articulated within the New Testament. Uh, but I'm not God, and I, I'm not inclined to say what God can or cannot do. I will tell you that biblically, it certainly looks like salvation results in a call, and that call is to kingdom service, and that then salvation and service are inextricably bound. But the main thing, and we'll look at that, we'll continue to raise that question and kind of massage that as we go through the text uh, today and, and throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke. But the thing I want to be really careful to say to you this morning is that kingdom service is never the means of achieving our salvation. It is the result of our salvation. Okay? It, it's... It's a temptation for some of us who are eager beavers to say, I can, I can be good enough. I can do enough good things that God has to let me in. Um, that's not the case. In Matthew 7, 22, Jesus says, you know, in the last day when he comes again, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons to perform many miracles? In other words, did we not do a lot of great stuff in the church, in your name, in the ministry? But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's one of the, again, one of a difficult passage in the New Testament, but clearly it states, you know, there's, it's not about what you achieve. It's about a personal relationship with the Savior. It's about your name being written in the book of life. It's about our sins and evil doing being covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. This whole idea of does Jesus know us, that's the question that should keep you up at night. That's the question. Do we know him? Is there a relationship? Now, if there is a relationship between you and Jesus, here's what that relationship is going to look like. He's going to be the Lord. You're not. 
He's the father, you're the adopted child. The spirit of adoption that we are heirs to the promise. Nonetheless, there is a pecking order. Lord, servant, father, child. That means he has the authority. That means that if you know Jesus and he knows you, you'll understand he's the Lord and I'm not. I'm a servant. And I'm a grateful servant. I'm a saved son or daughter. And I'm eager to serve. I'm eager to please my Lord. And so what does the Lord command us to do? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to our text for this morning. After this, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, before we get into the meaning, let's do a little noticing. Uh, Notice the number 72. Why 72? Where did 72 come from? You're asking a lot of great questions today. (laughs) In the ancient world, um, it was thought that if you added all the nations together, that it would come out to 70 or 72. It depends on your source. Uh, but that was common, and you find that in, in, in literature that even surrounded the New Testament, that the, the thought was that all the nations, all told together, would be 70, or in some cases, 72. So the number 72 is symbolism, and it points to the fact that this is a universal mission, that Jesus is not just sending his disciples in, into the, you know, the influence of Israel. This is for everybody. And of course, he actually comes out and says that at the very end of the gospel, Luke 24, 47, he says, repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all the nations. All the nations is always at the heart of the Lord. But him choosing 72 signifies that within the ancient world. And he says, 72 others. Why I use the word others? Others implies people other than the 12 apostles. Remember that in Luke 9, we had the apostolic mission trip where Jesus sent out the 12. And it might have been thought, well, that's the apostolic mission trip, and that was for the special, you know, the special 12 appointed apostles of Jesus. No, it's for all followers of Jesus, and it's to all the nations. Once again, this highly inclusive uh, call for all believers to participate in the great mission and to go into all the nations. But what is that mission? Well, the mission of the 72 begins with Jesus sending them two by two ahead of him to the places he was about to go. So in one respect, the mission is to prepare the way for Jesus to come and do what he does. It's not to do what Jesus did. It is to prepare the way for Jesus to come and do what only Jesus can do. So the disciples would engage a city, a family, an individual, and they would be a Jesus ambassador. Of course, that's what Paul calls us later on in in the epistles, you know, that we are ambassadors of Christ in order to prepare that city, that family, that individual to receive the Lord. And then when the Lord is welcomed, the kingdom of heaven breaks in. And the kingdom of heaven only breaks in through Jesus Christ. And so they say the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is near. We'll talk a lot more about that as we get further into into this part of of, uh, Luke 10. Look what comes next. Jesus tells them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, Jesus is clearly not talking about corn or wheat. When Jesus refers to the harvest, what's he talking about? He's talking about human souls. Individual human souls, cities of human souls that are ripe for repentance and faith. Now, 
what is the nature of a harvest field? Why did he use this terminology? Well, it's clearly something everyone in the first century would be aware of and be very familiar with. How many of you grew up on a farm, kind of have, you know, experience on the farm? I thought there'd be a lot more in Kansas. <laughs> All right. Well, here's, here's what that means to me. I grew up in a farming community in central Wisconsin, and uh, I'm a little amateur farmer in my little garden in my yard, so here's what it sounds like to me. Number one, the harvest field refers to a crop that is ripe, mature, and ready to be brought in, right? The harvest field is only a harvest field in due season, and it only lasts for a season. The harvest field will transform into a dead, rotten field, if the crop is not harvested in a timely manner, which is probably why Jesus tells the disciples in verse 4 to avoid small talk on the road. Time is of the essence when it comes to bringing in the harvest. Then, if the one who planted the field does not harvest the crop in due season, others will, such as birds, raccoons, squirrels in my yard, or thieves. Thieves, people will come and steal it. Prior to the advent of the combine, Harvest time required every hand in the family. It wasn't anything that one person could do or two people or three people. It took the entire family. Many times it took the entire community uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, kids were excused from school. Sports teams took a break. The clock was adjusted to provide an extra hour of daylight. And the whole community understood that bringing in the crops was the number one priority. And every single person was needed and expected to help. And I suspect that was the understanding of the first century when Jesus said, I'm sending you into the harvest field. And what did he say about the harvest field? He said the harvest is plentiful. There's no lack of souls waiting to receive the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. It's not as though there is a limited, meager harvest that's hard to find or difficult to distinguish. No, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's abundant. It's obvious. The problem is this. Not that there's not that a lot of harvest. There's plenty of harvest. Here's the problem. The workers are few. Not enough workers means that souls ready to be harvested will not get harvested. They will rot. They will spoil. They'll be plucked up by a thief who comes only to kill, steal, and destroy by virtue of John 10.10. 10. So the season is now, but there's not enough workers. So what is the mission? Is the mission to go gather up the harvest... Or is the mission to recruit more workers? I think the answer is yes. Both. You know, clearly, the more people who become believers, the more workers there are to reap the harvest in the harvest field, right? Once again, implying that to be a believer, to be one who's saved by the blood of Christ, is to be a, a worker in the field. Now, which one comes first? More workers or harvested souls? Well, what comes first is this. Prayer. Prayer comes first. This is what Jesus says. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. I find a lot of comfort in this imagery that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's not just the owner of the field who sits back passively. He's not just the, you know, the consumer of the harvest, that he wants this for himself. He's the Lord of the harvest, which means everything in the field belongs to him, as does the process of bringing it in. He is as much says... You can't just make workers. You can't produce them. You can't just do training in your churches and then send them out. I need to provide workers. So ask me. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. 
I think every missionary's first prayer is that the Lord would provide more missionaries, right? And every person who is sent needs to know I'm sent because Jesus sent me. The Lord tapped me. It's not like my arm got twisted and I came in because somebody, you know, gave me the guilt trip. I'm serving in the field because this is my call. The Lord of the harvest sent me. Every so often, I'll have a senior member of our church comment that he or she feels useless in their old age, and they can hardly get out. They're feeling disconnected from activities of the congregation. They don't feel like they're helping anyone at all. If that's your situation, or you know people like that, I just remind you, the first thing that Jesus sent us to do, called us to do, is to pray. And every single person can pray. I see I have a filing down here. Her husband, uh, Nick, and Nick Jr. is here. Her husband, Nick, 95 years old, 72 years of marriage, passed away this year. And I always loved to go visit Nick, and he would start into, I just feel so useless, but I'm praying. And I would want to challenge him and say, but the but doesn't belong there. You're praying, and you are doing ministry. It is the first call of every Christian to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send us in and send others in because the fields are plentiful. Now, in case you're wondering, if you've ever been called, I mean, maybe you're one of those people who said, well, I mean, I believed. I believe I was saved. I believe I'm going to heaven, but I'm not really sure I've ever been called, you know, to, to, you know, kingdom service or whatever it is you're talking about. Well, let me just unpack the next sentence for you. It's very powerful. It's kind of a long, intense sentence. Let me read the entire sentence for you. Here it is. Go. (laughs) Exclamation point, right? In the Greek, let me translate. It's you go. Y'all go, right, from the Southern translation. I mean, that's it. It's not very complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Go. That's a direct order. That's an imperative from our Lord, the Lord of the harvest. You go. Get busy. Get started. Don't just stand there and debate whether you've been called. Consider this your call. Go. I often ask people, people often ask me, uh, well, can you define that? I mean, really, can you, like, give some examples? Can you show what that would actually look like in Southern Johnson County or Kansas City area where, where we live and move because we're busy people. We, we have jobs and families and all these kind of things. Does that mean we have to quit our jobs? Does that mean we have to spend more time at church and committee meetings, you know, away from our already neglected families? I mean, does that mean we have to sell everything that we have and, you know, go off to Africa? I mean, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I think serving in the harvest field looks like for most of us. Going in the harvest field, you know, of God for most of us means going to work, going to school, going to the play group, going to soccer game, going wherever it is that you're going with your eyes open in prayer, eagerly searching for the low-hanging fruit ready to be plucked, ready to bring in the harvest of that which is ripe and plentiful and ready to be brought in, right? And remember who you report to. Remember who sent you. Remember who your Lord is. Jesus told you to go ahead of him to the places where he is going to show up. He is going to do the work. Your job is to prepare the way. What does that actually look like? It looks like caring enough about a person's soul to test to see if it's ripe. To engage in a conversation about the faith, about eternity. And you'll know pretty quick whether that person's soul is ripe for the picking that Jesus is ready to come in and claim that one for himself, or if it's not, if it's not, move on to the next, right? Because you can no more make a soul ripe and mature and ready to to come to the faith than you can make, you know, an an ear of corn 
mature and get ripe on the stock. I mean, it just takes time, and it will happen in due season. He didn't say go out there and make everybody ready to be picked. He said go just gather the harvest that's plentiful. And so it's our responsibility to go in and, and reap what's ready. And I know that seems difficult, but it's really not optional. I mean, this is what Jesus said. In case you're feeling nervous about that, you're feeling a little bit, I just, I don't know if I could do that. It scares me. I feel intimidated. Let me just give you some comforting words that Jesus said about our harvest mission. He said, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right? I mean, just when I'm getting my nerve up, Jim's getting me all pumped up about following Jesus in the harvest field, and then Jesus goes and says something like that. I mean, it's not as though I didn't already have some fear about my mission. Now I'm just terrified. I'm confused. Why would Jesus send out his disciples as lambs amongst wolves? What's the point? Why not send us out as lions among wolves? Why not send us out as like a team of Navy SEALs? Why lambs among wolves? Wolves eat lambs. Lambs are defenseless. Lambs are wimps. Lambs are sissies. Lambs are just miniature versions of sheep, and we all know sheep are the dumbest animals alive. So why lambs in the midst of wolves? Well, here's why. You see, because if you're going to follow the lamb, then you will be like the lamb. Do you remember what Isaiah said about the Messiah? He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a, a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I mean, we've heard this all throughout chapter 9. Following Jesus will not be easy. It will not feel safe, and you should know that going in, it's just, it's going to be kind of difficult. You see, if I told you it was going to be easy, and then you tried it, and you found out it was difficult, you say, well, you lied to me. I'm not lying to you. It's not easy. You're going to run into challenges. At times, you're going to feel like a lamb in the midst of wolves. And that is because you're following the lamb, which means that you surrender the effectiveness of your efforts, to, you know, based upon your competency or your strength or the power of your persuasion. That's not how it's going to work. Your effectiveness within the field is going to be having Christ in you. And if the lamb is in you, then you will be like a lamb. You will have that same humility, vulnerability, and compassion that Jesus had. Jesus sends us out as lambs because he was like a lamb, and we are ambassadors of Christ. So when followers of Jesus enter into a town or a house, or we enter into a conversation with an unbeliever at the soccer field, we represent our Lord, the Lamb of God, who is slain to take away the sins of the world. Our countenance, then, should be like the one we represent, the one who lives in us. Now, because Jesus sends us out like lambs amongst the wolves, does that mean we're walking into a slaughter? No. In fact, we'll see in the weeks to come that those serving in the kingdom have nothing to fear. But how is that? I mean, aren't lambs sitting ducks in the presence of hungry wolves? Well, yes, they are. Unless, of course, you see there happens to be a good shepherd standing by. Whose rod and staff are not to be trifled with. One who loves his sheep. 
and would leave the 99 to go pursue the one that strays. You see, we have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the atonement for our sin. He's the Lamb of God. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is our Lord. He is my Lord. And because he is our Lord, because we have a relationship with him as Lord to servant, as father to son, as king to subject, then we are compelled out of duty, out of gratitude, out of love to do what he commands us to do. And what did he command us to do? He said first to pray, and then he said go. Bring in the harvest of human souls that are ready to receive him, proclaim the kingdom of God, and trust him. Trust him for everything. Trust that he is enough. Trust that his word is true. Surrender your life to fulfill the kingdom service that he has called you to. Listen, you were saved to serve. You were harvested to become a harvester. So go. But first, let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would send out the workers into the harvest field. And most of the time we pray that, we're thinking of a whole bunch of other people and not us. But give us the courage to say that prayer even for our own lives, that you would send us that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit, that the very, very presence of Jesus Christ would so live in us that we would become like the Lamb. And though by standing up in this culture right now, this week, and attaching Jesus Christ to our identity, we will be, we're gonna feel threatened by the wolves. That we will have no fear because you are the good shepherd. You lead us on the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here am I, send me. We're all in. In Jesus' name, amen.